daily news and analysis. We keep you informed and inspired. This is World Today. Hello and welcome to World Today. I'm Zhao Yang. Silicon Valley's AI saga took an unexpected twist this week. OpenAI reinstated Sam Altman just days after the company board ousted him. However, rather than settling the dust, the company's roller coaster ride has sparked intense debates surrounding AI regulation. Last Friday, when OpenAI announced the decision to remove Altman from his position, rumors swirled about the company's motivation. Reports suggested a clash between money and ethics, with the board fearing that Altman moved too fast to cash in on the new technology, despite its potential dangers. Could the internal strife at OpenAI be a harbinger of broader challenges faced by global regulators in navigating the uncharted waters of AI ethics and governance? While OpenAI's drama unfolds on the West Coast, the European Union is marching towards finalizing its ambitious AI Act before the end of the year. The White House issued an executive order to manage the risks associated with AI, and China unveiled its global AI governance initiative last month. On the international stage, Britain hosted the first AI safety summit. Participating nations achieved a groundbreaking agreement at Bletchley Park, establishing a shared understanding of the opportunities and risks posed by this emerging technology. But amid these milestones, a myriad of unanswered questions looms large. What precise risks demand global concern? What should be the specific targets of regulatory rules? How are they to be enforced, and by whom? Joining our discussion today, Professor Pascal Fong, director of the Center for Artificial Intelligence Research at Hong Kong University of Science and Technology, Andy Mark, tech analyst and senior research fellow at the Center for China and Globalization. And Edward Lehman, legal affairs commentator and managing director at Lehman Lee and Shi Law Firm. Thank you all for being with us. And and Annie, I'd like to start with you. And let's first look at this、um, internal chaos at OpenAI.、Um, we know that when Sam Altman was ousted last Friday, the board actually offered only vague explanations, citing issues with his、uh, communication with the board, but. Um, there are speculations、uh, regarding a deeper clash between financial interests and ethical considerations. So, what do you make of what really happened there? Well, this is such a great question, Zhao Ying.、Um, there's so much attention that has been paid to OpenAI and、uh, ChatGPT. So, my understanding is that when OpenAI was founded, its mission. Was to develop and harness AI for the greater good of all of mankind, and so they adopted this unusual corporate structure、um, with a a nonprofit at the top and a for-profit entity underneath it. And in everything that I've read and spoken to people about this, is that、uh, the board's description of the reason. Uh, for firing Sam Altman、uh, was, as they said, that they just、uh, felt that he was not being completely、uh, honest with、uh, what was going on, which would make it impossible,、uh, in their view, impossible to properly、uh, execute their responsibilities. And I think you know this issue hinges around、um, how quickly. Development should be made because, of course, there's two camps here. One that is more utopian,、uh, which Sam Altman falls in this camp that、uh, AI, especially artificial general intelligence, could make、uh, the world a much, much better place. And there are those that fear it could even lead to mankind's extinction. So, if、uh, published reports and you know people that are not directly party to these discussions.、Uh, Are correct that this is really the crux of the question. Yes, and and Annie, we know there was、uh, reportedly this this letter sent by several researchers at OpenAI to to the board, warning of a breakthrough discovery tied to artificial intelligence that could, according to them, threaten humanity.、Um, but it's unclear what role that letter played in Altman's firing. But how worried do you think we should be about the future trajectory of AI development now that Altman has returned? Well, this is again. I think is such an important question.、Um, 
one way I've seen this discussed by uh, you know people with I think enormous perspective, uh, Henry Kissinger and Eric Schmidt, uh, have argued that artificial intelligence is in some ways like the printing press. And what they mean by this was before the printing press, we were in the age of faith, where people believed in God, they believed in the absolute right of monarchs to rule. Um, But after the printing press, reason became paramount. And what we're seeing here, then, is a transition to where human reason perhaps will no longer be seen as the most important uh, framework or the foundation for how humans understand the world and their place in it. So this could bring enormous benefits as well as enormous challenges, as we've seen in the transition from the age of faith to the age of reason. Okay, so uh, Dr. Lehman, if, um, as Annie just said, uh, this clash at OpenAI can be seen as an, a battle between those who view AI as a transformative tool for prosperity and business growth and those who approach it with, with caution, perceiving it as an unpredictable force, uh, do you believe that Altman's return signify a clear victory for the proponents of the former group? And, and how might this influence the company's future trajectory and the broader AI industry? Yeah, I mean, I, I agree with Andy Mock that uh, that certainly Sam Altman uh, was in the ca- camp with the AGI, uh, which was the not-for-profit mission, which is where they, and he had explained very well about how it all started. Back in 2015, it was its initial charter was emphasized this commitment to use uh, any influence, you know, over AGI to ensure that the benefits uh, would be there and and enabling uses that could harm humanity and um, you know concentrate power unduly would not be met. And I mean, even back then, just so everybody knows that uh, even Elon Musk was in initially part of that until he spun out um, in 2018 because of the conflicts with. Uh, with Tesla, um, you know, but, but I think that the jury's still out as to what this all means and as to how this is going to work. I mean, this is really unusual circumstances where, again, he was fired by one of these, uh, one of his the folks who set up this not-for-profit initially and and who was on the board, uh, and then uh, reportedly, and again, all this has not been very clear, um, and then now he's coming back, uh, and and it's it's unclear whether that that's going to win out. He's come back after this letter, like you, you've alluded to. I mean, there were letters um, talking about the, you know, the dark side of things that were going to happen. But then people, certainly the letters of support for Sam Altman from the workers and, you know, in any industry, whether it's AI or something else, you know, it's all about the people. And at the end of the day, um, that sort of brought this, the shakeup to bring Sam Altman back. But, um, right. you know, it, it's, We've seen things like this in the past with with uh, Steve Jobs or founders of different organizations that have been asked to leave and then come back. That that hasn't always worked out, uh, and and whether the mission stays um, the same or not, you know, from the original one after they leave, um, you know, it remains unclear. So I mean, this we're in this sort of brave new world with a, um, with AI, and and as Andy had rightly pointed out, I mean. We don't know what direction it's going to go to. You know, I, I'm optimistic. I mean, I think that uh, you know this will obviously be something positive, just like the printing press, as, as they, they talked about. Um, but you know, it's it's a question of how to balance these things. I mean, and they've got new people on the board, like Larry Summers. Um, I, I would hope that you know would would contain whatever's happening there. Okay, so uh, Professor Fong, let me go to you. Uh, do you feel the recent drama at OpenAI resonate with uh, the larger conversation surrounding AI regulation and governance? Like, in essence, does it reflect the dilemma of determining the optimal pace of technological advancement and the extent to which regulations should be implemented? Um, yes, while not having first-hand knowledge of what happened in OpenAI, I would say the ramification, you know, certainly the reaction from the public has uh, highlighted this tension between uh, governance uh, versus uh, progress, which, unfortunately, uh, to me, it is a false dilemma. Um, I think um, 
you know, people love a drama. And in a drama, you need to have two sides. But the question of AI progress and AI governance is way more complex than, you know, the side that wants progress versus the side that uh, wants to prevent it from risk. I think most people, I think, I, I would say that nobody working in AI today, and speaking as a researcher uh, in AI for 30 years, I would say nobody working in AI today, especially the ones who are working on frontier AI today, uh, wants to do it just for profit, and certainly, um, certainly not just to do it in order to make money. This is a very, uh, I think, the misunderstanding from some quarters of the public. And most of the people working on frontier models have this, uh, I, I think we all have this sense of mission of carrying, you know, the human civilization forward with new discovery and so on. And certainly the, the latest technology progress was enabled by a lot of collective work in the scientific community. It's not just open AI. It is way larger than open AI. So open AI sort of stumbled onto ChatGPT after many generations of uh, research on top of what was done by others before, including the transformer architecture from Google, including the PyTorch framework from Meta, and so on. And they sort of were the first ones who stumbled upon this model, and I used the word stumble upon uh, deliberately, because it was not by design that such emerging capabilities of LLM was, uh, uh, came about. It was uh, collective discovery. And then they, they of course... Um, um, because of the viral application of the ChatGPT, they capture the, uh, the world's imagination and, and therefore sort of become the, uh, today, uh, especially in the public realm, as the uh, sort of a flag bearer of the frontier AI models. But I, would, uh, I want to say that there are a lot more people besides those um, great researchers at OpenAI who are working on frontier AI models uh, all around the world. So to me, this is a drama, yes. And, uh, but the progress of AI is inevitable, meaning that it will go forward with or without open AI. And, uh, but having said that, uh, everybody is still uh, concerned uh, about the governance structure. I think even Sam Altman uh, is, uh, is a supporter or proponent of uh, governance. It's just people have different views of how we should have AI governance, right? how we should govern AI. Should it be at the level of uh, stopping research or should it be at the level of uh, the outcome? And me, personally, I am of a uh, lesser view, but maybe that's your next question. I don't know whether you want to continue, or I can answer another question about that. So I think this dichotomy is a bit of a simplification of what's really going on. And uh, it's like moon landing, you know. Sooner or later, we're going to get there uh, with one country or without one country, and this is the same thing. AI would continue to um, advance uh, with the collective... Um, effort of scientific community, global scientific community. And uh, today, you know, whatever happens today in OpenAI uh, is a very good uh, drama for, for Silicon Valley, but really in the history of AI, it's not going to be um, one of the most significant things. Yeah, and, and Professor Fong, I I do agree with you that the profit is not everything, and you mentioned about this this mission to to move forward for human civilization. But um, do you think like unbridled innovation is always a good thing for society? Um, considering that sometimes uh, the swift development of new technology primarily benefits a privileged minority rather than the broader public. Like a lot of people may lose their jobs with the development of AI, right? So is it? Um, sometimes prudent to prioritize regulations to ensure safety and, and social well-being, even at the expense of um, perhaps fewer unicorns or billionaires? Um, so there, I would also say that nobody has the uh, ability to say that, uh, you know, by doing social engineering, we're going to do a better job for humanity. I think nobody can will today guarantee that if they have this set of regulations, the overall outcome is going to be better for humanity rather than, uh, you know, stopping AI and so on. I, I don't believe that uh, that's, uh, that kind of social engineering works. I, I just don't believe it works. Having said that, I think uh, uh, collectively uh, people do agree, even research, you know, even frontier, uh, people working on frontier models, we agree that we should think about, like, uh, what, what are the red lines that we don't want to pass in the future. Today, we're far from there, but we should start talking about it and thinking about 
What are the red lines that we do not pass? And that discussion should be multilateral. It should be a global discussion between um, different producers of, um, you know, different producers of, of AI models as well as uh, different states. It should be a global discussion because it's, uh, it concerns the civilization, humanity's future. There's no border between uh, our future, right? We are, we, are, we are inevitably intertwined. So we need to have international discussion about what are the red lines we don't want to pass in the future. Not today, but in the future. Mm-hmm. And that discussion needs to be had and needs to be multilateral. And also we need to involve a lot of stakeholders. Having said that, I am very um, worried about, you know, today's uh, a lot of the public discourse is going on. It's like feeding itself, okay? A lot of the discourse today is just feeding on itself, and it's sort of uh, not really grounded on the reality of how we do science. So, for example, we can make AI more democratic by having open source, having open science. In fact, um, this is happening already, you know, um, Countries around the world are sharing the, uh, the, the, the open source, sharing the research results, other than OpenAI, which is, which is not publishing much. But others are publishing, and uh, maybe it will be a few months slower than OpenAI, but we will eventually catch up, and we will share. And, uh, and, and we are very, uh, most of us are very um, uh, 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 on democratizing AI, mm-hmm. open sourcing it. And to make sure that uh, you know all all countries, all cultures benefit from this process. But stopping research is not going to make uh, make it more democratic. It will be the opposite, right? If you stop uh, research and uh, and you close everything down, it's just going to you know the the privileged ones will continue to have the resources to to push technology forward, and uh, the others won't then won't have uh, access to it. So I don't think that's the way to go. Okay, uh, so so Dr. Lehman, uh, are you with us? Can can you hear me now? Here I am. Yeah, yeah. I so okay, g- great. So uh, we know that a key argument against AI regulation is that it could stifle innovation and, and progress. How valid do you think are these concerns, and how do you think we can find the right balance between fostering innovation and implementing necessary regulations? Well, I mean, yeah, that's the that's the main issue that we're grappling with, um, you know, um, you can be the change you want to see in the world. Um, and, and that, you know, that's what sort of AI is, is trying to deal with. And it's, it's this one huge step that, um, you know, if you want to go fast, you go alone. If you want to go far, you go together. I mean, it's that kind of thing. And I think that's what Sam Altman wants to do. And that was the proponents of this, of this AGI initially. And I think that that was probably the underlying, um, you know, acrimony that was that was happening about his departure and then him coming back and then but to be able to um, to sort of man you know manage the legal and ethical issues um, is is what's exceedingly difficult. I mean, even with the the recent meeting between President Biden and President Xi, they talked about AI and they talked about how it has to be considered uh, with with the relationship between the two countries. And so that's how important this is it's not it's beyond chat gpt and sam altman but it has to do with how are we going to go forward collectively and we haven't really seen something quite like this like andy mock was saying since um you know since the the evolution of the um of the printing press and um the the likelihood of this falling into um into dark areas is is a possibility, and that needs to be managed. The question is, how does one manage it on an international scale, first on a national scale, then on an international scale? Now, you've got uh, laws, policies, and regulations in China, for example, which is the uh, cybersecurity law and the digital uh, security law, and you've got uh, personal information uh, protection uh, law. And so these kind of laws are being set on a on a national basis in, for example in china and then um how, how are we going to apply those to ai and the deciding factor is going to be obviously local governments whether that be china or other places are going to have a uh, way in on how to deal with it locally and then how does one deal with it on an international uh, basis so i think um i mean this balancing test is is going to is going to be a curious one because you've got private enterprise involved. I mean, Microsoft, I mean, it, it, 
in the small interim that Sam Altman was uh, dismissed and then brought back. I mean, he went. He was he was hired by Microsoft, which has a an interest, a very large uh, stake in in this project. And uh, you know, when you have private enterprise that is um, not necessarily acting in the you know best interests of of all the world, if you will, in a, in a sort of a not-for-profit setting, uh, which is what they try to do, then you're going to have somebody put the thumb on the scale as to what's better for them. I'm not suggesting that that's necessarily the case, but the likelihood that that could happen um, with private actors and players that, you know, is, is more, maybe more likely because people are more interested in profits rather than in, um, in, um, you know, what's what's ethical and good for people. The other thing is, I mean, is with regards to deep fakes and all these other types of things um, and fake news, which has been in the news, you know, for quite a bit of time now and whether AI is going to facilitate that or not. And so how to get a handle on this is quite difficult. I mean, as a lawyer, um, we haven't, you know, we haven't seen that other than what's been interesting, for example, is that people have used chat GPT in, uh, to do, uh, to make submissions to law cases, for example, in the United States and the information has been incorrect. The case law has been incorrect, um, that was submitted. So for example, it, it is going to touch every aspect of our, uh, life. And I think that it needs to, there needs to be a balance stricken. And I don't think that, I think the jury's still out as to where and how that's going to happen. Yeah. Uh, so, Andy, uh, what do you think should be the goal of, of AI regulation? And uh, besides what uh, Dr. Lehman just now mentioned, what other risks do you think uh, we should be worried about? Or do you think uh, those regulations should, should focus on? Well, I would say that um, it seems unlikely that regulation can slow down the development of AI. Uh, and here's why. So if we look at it at the commercial level, the gains, the commercial gains, the profits from being a leader in this space are so great. At the same time, the potential cost of being left behind are also so high that I think that the pressure this creates to continue development uh, is irresistible. And, you know, again, this is what, as Ed said, uh, why Microsoft immediately, uh, within hours, if not minutes, of the announcement of Sam Altman being fired, said that they would hire him and anyone from OpenAI uh, that wanted to join Microsoft. Similarly, if we look at it at the level of nation states, because the advantages that artificial intelligence can confer uh, on a military, on the ability to conduct diplomacy, other ways of advancing national power that no responsible national leader uh, can afford to fall behind. So I'm a little bit skeptical of regulation's ability to slow down innovation. That being said, I think that everyone also recognizes that there are categorical dangers that need to be addressed. We don't know, for example, uh, about some of these emergent, so-called emergent qualities of artificial intelligence, meaning that they're able to do things no one expected. So, you know, this is uh, an important issue that people recognize and we see through the AI safety summit that the UK held and the so-called Bletchley Park Declaration, uh, other countries uh, make efforts in this area. But again, I think uh, this is going to be challenging because on the one hand, people recognize the danger. On the other, the advantages of being first and the cost of being left behind are both so high for businesses and for nation states that I think everyone is going to want to move as forward as quickly as possible. Yes, yes, indeed. And, and thank you, Andy Mogg, Professor Pascal Fong, and uh, Edward Lehman. Let's take a short break here. And coming back, we will continue our discussion and remind our listeners, if you want to hear this episode again or catch up on previous episodes, you can download our podcast by searching World Today. Please stay with us. We'll be back.
Welcome back. You're listening to World Today. I'm Zhao Ying, joined by Professor Pascal Fong, director of the Center for Artificial Intelligence Research at Hong Kong University of Science and Technology, Andy Mark, tech analyst and senior research fellow at the Center for China and Globalization, and Edward Lehman, legal affairs commentator and managing director at Lehman Lee and Xu Law Firm.、Uh, so, Professor Fong,、um, I think we all agree that.、Um, Regulations are necessary in the development of AI, but what ethical principles do you think should guide the development and use of AI, and are there specific areas of AI where you believe regulations should be more or less stringent? Well,、um, I have two parts to this,、uh, to this question. So, one part of the answer is that、uh, a lot of regulations are already in place. For example, AI can be potentially used. But to have any new drug approved, first of all, it needs extensive clinical trials. It needs humans to take the、uh, solutions、uh, proposed by AI and to do experiments. So, and then it needs clinical trials and has to go through the uh, 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 relevant uh, authorities to get a drug approved. So this is an example, and and other examples in the financial industry, for example, the existing laws governing you know how you can use some kind of information and how you can not use it. And the,、uh, to the example that、uh, that one of the panelists just uh, uh, talked about, where、uh, somebody used uh, uh, ChatGPT to come up with uh, uh, prior cases that are not true, I think in this case that person was actually sanctioned because it's a human lawyer's job actually to check and verify any research result, that whether it was provided by ChatGPT or any anybody else. So I think in a lot of uh, uh, areas that people. Keep talking about today. This is not even a, 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 a interesting question because there are already existing laws. So it's all hypothetical、uh, stories that people tell. Now that's one part of the answer. The other part is that,、um, right, you know, it's it's not possible to regulate something you don't know about. So a lot of the governance talks today are also focusing on what we should regulate so that we have、uh, we can prevent future risks. But the big question is, what are the future risks? That we can、uh, potentially see, nobody knows. All right. So all we can say is that these are the red lines we don't want to see. For example, we don't want、uh, machines to indefinitely or intimately replicate themselves. We don't want machines to take over humans. I mean, these are like general principles that people agree on, like red lines and scenarios we don't want to see in the in the future. And I would say that's not a future we're going to see in next year or two for sure. So we can have that discussion. We can, you know, certainly say that we we need to bring some kind of regulation.、Uh, for example,、um, you know, in terms of we already have, for example,、uh, data privacy、uh, regulations and so on. But other than that,、um, I don't see how we can regulate something we, we don't know about. Okay. okay. And then in terms of science and research,、uh, the guiding principle has always been,、uh, you know, following the scientific method. Yes, indeed, this is、uh, uncharted waters. And and and、uh, Andy,、uh, I'd like to get your thought on this、uh, because there are also voices warning about overregulation, saying that maybe we should wait and see how the technologies will develop and then react. How how do you assess these ideas and other potential risks associated with moving too fast or too far in AI regulation? No, that's such a good question, Zhao Ying. I mean, historically. Um, I think that regulation has worked best when there is a more complete understanding of both the benefits and the potential risks, so that you don't、uh, have the negative effects of regulation while still、uh, achieving the positive effects. Now, here's the issue, though: when we think about things like ethical principles, which is what makes AI so challenging, is that we can certainly Think of AI as a tool, like any other tools we use—computers, electricity—and、uh, this is relatively easy to regulate. But what happens when we get into a situation where we have to rely on AI to make the decisions? So, for example, in healthcare,、um, even already,、uh, we've seen AI make more accurate diagnoses more quickly than humans can. Uh, but perhaps without understanding how that diagnosis was arrived at, 
So in this instance, it's relatively clear that we should listen to the AI. But what about in more ambiguous situations? Should we listen to the AI if uh, an artificial intelligence is driving a car, flying an airplane, um, and it says we should do this to avoid a crash? Um, But we don't really know why it said that. So this poses these challenges that are at a much deeper level than just what is the right regulatory response, but in fact, what are the right principles to apply? And again, I think this is where AI challenges what it actually means to be human. Because again, uh, humans in the age of reason uh, rely on our reason, our intellect, for ultimately making sense of the world. Whereas AI can see things, conclude things that perhaps are beyond the capabilities of human intellect to ever understand. And in that case, what should we do? So this is, I think, in some ways, both very exciting, but also very scary as well, from a regulatory and even from a philosophical perspective. Yes, um, I think these are, yes. Yeah, I just wanted to add just uh, on on what Andy Mock said and what also what Professor Fung was talking about is, Absolutely correct. I mean, one is understanding the technology. I mean, the legislators, I mean, the, basically the folks that are in the organization themselves, I mean, have to come up with an understanding of what are the AI technologies and their capabilities and potential impacts before we can figure out how to uh, how to regulate them. And I mean, it, it reminds me of the Donald Rumsfeld. I mean, there's the known uh, knowns and there's the unknown, there's the known unknowns. And then there's the unknown unknowns. And with AI, I mean, that's what I think Andy Mock was alluding to just now. I mean, the folks, the uh, ethicists, uh, the ethicists or the legal experts and industry stakeholders, you know, they all need to collaborate to kind of understand what this is about. I mean, it's a little different, obviously, than the than the uh, printing press. And as much as it was kind of uh, everyone could visualize what that was all about and the parameters of that, it was just what was going to be written, what ink was going to be spilled, I guess, on on creating that. So one is this understanding of technology. Then you've got to have this sort of collaboration of experts. And we've seen even in ChatGPT, just like this is what this whole thing is about. There's obviously a a difference of opinion as to what should go forward, even as these guys are working together. So then how can a bunch of folks that are in the legislature in the United States, for example, uh, 435 that are in the House or the 100 that are in the Senate uh, come up with legislation. I mean, none of these folks are probably uh, geared up intellectually to, to, to grapple with these things, to be able to do regulations. Then you have to define ethical principles. And when you think about that, it reminds me of this T-shirt I saw the other day, which is, uh, and it was a gentleman wearing it, says, I'm the boss, but my wife makes all the decisions. So, I mean, what's are, what are the ethical principles here? I mean, who's making those? Who's the boss? And then who's making the decision? Is it is it going to be the legislators, or is it going to be the folks at ChatGPT, or is it going to be AGI? All that stuff is just is is still floating around in an uh, outer space, so to speak, with regards to how to how to regulate this. And then you've got to identify specific risks and concerns, and they've been discussed a little bit here when AI is making a decision in a healthcare scenario or let's say with launching bombs or or, or uh, some sort of military thing. So you've got to identify what those risks and concerns are with AI applications in various domains, and you've got to drill down on those. And so that's a whole other thing. But I think that the other thing one should address certainly is, is kind of a risk-based approach to the regulations. You know, what, what kind of risks... Are there going to be, like uh, Andy Mock talked about, in a healthcare scenario, that, that could be the difference between life and death? Um, and in other scenarios, it might be the, the difference between, uh, you know, making fake news or, uh, you know, taking someone's identity. But the other, the, the underlying principles here that everyone has to keep in mind would be, what are the transparency requirements with AI? I mean, so it's one thing to understand it. It's another thing that how do you let folks know what the heck is going on with AI? And there's a whole bunch of people who aren't paying attention um, to that. And then data privacy, which everyone's looked at locally with laws, policies, and regulations. And we're seeing it internationally more and more. China certainly has. And then accountability and responsibility and this this sort of public input um, 
it has to be a part of it. And then education and training. So there's a lot to deal with. And uh, I, you know, it, we're just launching this, this thing. And, and I think that uh, what's happened in chat GPT has brought it to everyone's attention where we were just sort of accepting it and using it as a toy. Now all of a sudden it's become very, um, the zeitgeist of what's happening now with uh, AI. Okay, uh, so Andy just learned that you're uh, you'll need to leave in a short while. So let me ask this question uh, before you go. Uh, we know that AI operates across borders, and we've seen this uh, global rivalry in establishing regulatory frameworks with, uh, for instance, uh, the EU's AI Act and the White House uh, executive order on safe, secure, and trustworthy AI. And also China has this global AI governance initiative. So what consequences do you anticipate from this regulatory competition? Well, we've talked a lot about uh, a little bit more of the downside of regulation, but there actually are some very important upsides as well in that a well-thought-out, transparent, appealing regulatory regime actually can attract talent, it can attract AI companies and investment. So there is a, a kind of a regulatory arbitrage potential here where the three uh, major global players, I would say maybe two, the two major global players are the U.S. and China, and the EU, of course, is an important market, uh, but as yet does not have uh, really the globally significant players that the U.S. and China have. So I think having uh, a well-designed, uh, thoughtful uh, regulatory framework can not only enhance safety and reduce risk, but also can be an important competitive advantage, as I mentioned, by attracting talent, companies, and capital. But it also gives confidence to domestic companies. Because one of the biggest concerns many companies have is with unclear or nascent regulations, uh, this creates a certain amount of what Microsoft used to call FUD, fear, uncertainty, and doubt. And the more that's reduced, the greater uh, the advantages for any domestic uh, group of companies. Okay, thank you, Andy. Thank you for joining us. Um, and Professor Fong, um, so... What governance models do you think are the most suitable for addressing the um, international nature of AI technologies? Like, can nations collaborate effectively to establish a cohesive uh, global regulatory framework for AI? Or do you feel um, a more localized approach is a more realistic path? Um. First of all, I want to say that I agree with uh, Andy, what Andy just said uh, strongly, that a good well-thought a regulatory framework will actually um, improve uh, public confidence in the future of this technology. And it would certainly reassure the researchers who are working on it. Um, uh, meanwhile, I think I cannot emphasize enough the nature of this uh, future of AI depends on, it impacts the whole humanity, so it depends on us all. So the uh, the ongoing regulatory discussions and governance discussions need to be um, an international discussion. All parties, all you know, all, all stakeholders need to be involved because it's the future of our, it's our common future. So um, in the past, there have been uh, sort of segmented efforts of uh, AI regulatory discussions in different jurisdictions. I think it's time to come together. And the most recent uh, AI safety summit in, in, in the UK was a good start where they actually invited uh, a party from China. And uh, in the, in, there are other discussions in the past that excluded some countries, and I don't think that's a good idea at all. So we need to really uh, cooperate um, uh, in terms of AI regulation and governance. Uh, we have maybe uh, different perspectives from, perspectives from uh, different cultures, and these different perspectives are important. It's important for us to discuss and learn from each other what concerns the um, one group of people versus what concerns the other group of people. You know, different countries have different concerns, and we need to discuss, and we need to come together, and we need to work out what is the common uh, goal and the common benefit and the common concern.
Yes, but will it be a very challenging to achieve some kind of、uh, international agreement or alignment on on AI ethics? And, and how do you think、uh, regulations can accommodate、uh, cultural differences and regional nuances to ensure that they are effective and culturally sensitive in, in diverse contexts? Perhaps I am more optimistic than most people.、Uh, I think you know we have a, a working sort of、uh, maybe not at all times efficient, but we do have a working、uh, international uh, body. Uh, for example, the United Nations.、Um, so we have a lot of uh, this, uh, presidents are working together. We have、uh, something called the Geneva Conven- Convention that、uh, many nation states have signed on to, and, and whenever there are some discussions in.、Um, Related to weapons and war,、um, then these countries come together and discuss it. So I think we have a precedent for international collaboration, and can certainly do something、uh, similar.、Um, so to,、uh, to guard against future、uh, red lines that we, you know everybody wants not to pass, then we can have something similar to Geneva Convention of saying, you know, what kind of outcome we need to prevent and we need to regulate, and so on. So、um, I don't think it's impossible. I think there's a will, and if people really see, it, if people really see AI risk as being existential threat to humanity, then we ought to、uh, get together and work together. If people see it as just like、um, a national interest for,、uh, above everything else, then they they they're not going to work together. So、um, I think、uh, you know one way or the other, I think we need to come together. Yes,、uh, and so Dr. Lehman, do you advocate for a global standard for AI regulation, or do you think it's more appropriate for each nation to establish its own standards? Well, I think I mean I think each nation is is probably going to be quicker to, to to be able to put something together rather than a global. I mean, certainly I advocate a global uh, uh, understanding, and I mean we we have all witnessed since whatever this, at the end of the Second World War when the United Nations. Was founded. I mean, w- how that works. I mean, so some people can say it's worked well and it's implemented laws, policies, and regulations, and then others can say that it hasn't. I mean, the United States, for example, it's in located in New York headquarters. I mean, they don't want to be holden to United Nations policies. I mean, that's just an example. I mean, that's been happened over and over again. I think what you're going to have. Because nations probably move quicker, and then obviously larger nations move and、uh, and with different kinds of、um, you know leadership move a little bit differently. So I mean, the one thing that you know China has been pretty good at is is putting together. If you look at laws, policies, and regulations, and even the time that I've been dealing with China over the last three and a half decades, I mean that's really been they put laws, policies, and regulations with civil. Um, you know, with business and corporations and civil procedure and all these types of things together in a very short period of time, because of the leadership that's involved, and、uh, they've been able to make those decisions. In、um, in other kinds of places like the United States, you know, it goes through a lot of hand wringing, and、uh, there's different lobby、uh, groups that are advocating for this, that, and the other thing, and so you get sort of fragmentation and inconsistency in. Those types of jurisdictions, and then, like like I said, everyone I think probably would agree that it would be great to have global leadership、uh, and global laws, policies, and regulations, like the Geneva Convention on you know on war, for example, and how people are to be treated. Now,、um, but what real what happens in reality? And let's take tax as an example. There becomes this sort of race to the bottom. So there are jurisdictions that say, "Hey, we're not going to charge any tax at all," and then people want to incorporate there. Whether that's within the United States, where Wyoming, for example, doesn't have corporate tax,、uh, Delaware has a better system, you know, than than say Illinois, where I'm from. So people kind of have a race to the bottom, which which has the least amount of regulations, what's easier for business, and people tend to go there, and that's why places like Delaware have、uh, have the most businesses. Re- Registered there because it's pro business. You might have a race to buy to the bottom with AI to go to places that are not regulated and that they would operate out of there. And since you're operating worldwide, it doesn't really matter where you are,、uh, from what country you're dealing with necessarily, maybe、uh, launching from. 
that uh, that you're not regulated there, and and folks will do that. I'm not suggesting that's going to be the case, but if we take a look at uh, similar types of of regulations that have been trying to be put in place, I and I think that it's taken us a long time. For example, if we want to draw a parallel with taxes, um, you know, and with anti money laundering and with know your client, I mean. That was put together with the OECD, which is a, a series of uh, economic regulations or financial regulations to help govern worldwide. It's taken, you know, these 20 or 30 years to implement that to most of the countries. So how long will it take with AI? AI is moving, uh, you know, at the speed of sound, at the speed of less than sound, but it, it, it's moving very quickly. And I think that it's difficult to say where's the global coordination going to come from uh, to keep up with that. And then, you know, what's been talked about earlier by uh, Professor Fung and then Andy Mock before is you've got this reduced consumer trust where there's kind of in, inconsistent or inadequate regulations. It can, have, you know, erode consumer trust in AI technologies. And then that, that might slow down the uh, adaptation of beneficial AI applications and hinder the growth of the, of the AI industry. So on the one hand, you want this to go forward because obviously there's something positive with it. On the other hand, when you get fake news or when you get information that's not correct, that's coming from AI to people who are not as educated about it and accept it, it could you know, there could be unintended consequences and there could be catastrophic consequences. But I also think that, yeah, the unintended consequences on regulatory competition, uh, you know, could lead to an experiment with different approaches in different places and the unanticipated effects on innovation, economic growth and societal well-being could be harmed if uh, we don't get our arms around that. So these are really, um, you know, difficult things to, to grapple with. And, you know, I, I don't think that there's been enough attention to it, frankly, uh, by any country in particular. Uh, but I think that everyone has to play catch up. And to a certain extent, it might be like, um, like freedom of speech versus uh, uh, libel and slander. So in the United States, for an example, or the United Kingdom and Commonwealth countries, people can say things in the press, in the media, it might be incorrect, they don't edit it, but you can go back and you can you can define you can say I've been defamed I've been slandered, and go and uh, have recourse in the court system to say that this was a problem. But in the meantime, the words have been said, uh, the the ink has been spilled, and uh, the same thing with AI. You know, do you wait until there's a problem and then you try to get uh, some sort of uh, you know judicial compensation? That's probably not the right way to go. Or do you try to regulate? But then when you regulate, are you over-regulating? It's just like raising a child. You know, do you, uh, you know, keep this kind of information from the general public uh, until you know that it's safe for them to deal with? Um, and, or do you not let your ch children go out of the house because you're afraid something bad is going to happen? So these are all kind of things that people are grappling with, but there's no real clear pathway that I see yet, at least. Mm -hmm. Okay, so Professor Fong, uh, do you see potential conflicts between national interests and, and global collaboration? And, and do you envision potential risks associated with a divergence in AI regulation that could result in fragmentation across the global AI landscape? Look, there are already over 100, uh, even more regulations and uh, you know, guidelines in place have been published in the last few years. And then uh, every major nation, uh, even smaller nations, already have AI regulations for government, uh, at least the initial uh, structure in place. And they are different. And we already see a difference in terms of uh, uh, the, uh, you know, the laws and regulations in place between the EU, the United States, and China, for example, and Japan. And it's all uh, related to the uh, uh, national interest and the cultural context. So, um, so both the United States and China would uh, be more um, towards, you know, um, pushing AI forward in terms of uh, innovation, and they're, they're more pro-innovation, let's say. I use a very caricature term. Um, I'm currently in Europe. <laughs> Maybe I shouldn't say this. But um, in Europe, people are more concerned about, you know, uh, technology as a... Uh, um, so the risk of technology, and I think it's rooted in the history of Europe and the heritage, the cultural heritage, and uh, 
you know, the history of Second World War and so on. So there, there's a cultural context for mm-hmm. each um, uh, jurisdiction to have different regulations, and we, we, we acknowledge that. There's nothing we can do about it. People are going to have different ones. But this is also why we need to come together and also have, in addition, not, you know, uh, in addition to have a body similar to the United Nations or, or within the United Nations to have a body that got, uh, that discuss and um, formulate AI regulation globally. So what are the, uh, so I, I heard I, I heard about the uh, concern about racing to the bottom, but I don't think here this is AI is comparable to tech, right? Because um, first of all, AI as a technology is uh, not just one thing. There are many different kinds of technologies um, that's collectively called AI. And they are being used already in many um, in many areas, in medical, in, in biomedical industry, in finance and so on. So um, we cannot, excuse me, other than the industry-specific regulations, we cannot say that um, it is, um, you know, it, it is not possible to have international. I mean, all these, uh, all these uh, uh, regulations in the financial industry, in the health industry, they also have an international body. Uh, there, there's also WHO, again, it's under the United Nations, and so on. So I am optimistic we can have international discussions in addition to the nation-state-specific um, discussions. Yeah, uh, uh, Edward... And it's uh, not racing to the bottom. The bottom here, it's not a bottom, right? Maybe if when we all get along together, we feel like these are the only few red lines we don't want to cross. Maybe that is the right outcome for humanity. Right. Yes, yes. I, I think there are still a lot of unanswered questions here, but unfortunately, uh, that's all the time we have for, for this edition of our discussion. And uh, we've been talking to Professor Pascal Fong, Director of the Center for Artificial Intelligence Research, Hong Kong University of Science and Technology, Edward Lehman, Legal Affairs Commentator and Managing Director of Lehman, Lee and Xu Law Firm and Andy Mock, Tech Analyst and Senior Research Fellow at the Center for China and Globalization. Thank you all for being with us again. And uh, that's all the time we have for this edition of World Today. To listen to this episode again or to catch up on previous episodes, you can download our podcast by searching for World Today. And for further discussion, you can follow us on X at CGTN Radio. I'm Zhao Ying. Thank you so much for listening. See you next time. Thank you.